I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. In October of 1985, a woman named Cherie Warren left work at a busy Salt Lake City office. To meet her estranged husband at a downtown auto dealership. She never made it home. Cherie's car surfaced weeks later in Las Vegas. In the parking lot of a hotel casino. No one knows how it got there. Strange. It was strange. Both Cherie's estranged husband and her boyfriend raised suspicion for investigators. I kind of thought that he might have done something. But no arrests were ever made. In Cold Season 3, we dig into double lives, make new connections in the case, and examine the difficulty raised by reasonable doubt. We want answers just as much as anyone else. They have creeps like that now, too, so nothing's changed. That's the new Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie. Now available anywhere you get your podcasts. Utah's best athletes count on flexibility, speed, strength. And the Jazz pick up their 22nd assist. So they count on University of Utah help. Brielle Soleil puts this game away. And so can you. Leading doctors, a world-class environment, award-winning innovation, care to be great. 14 unanswered by the Utes. University of Utah Health, caring for Utah's best and yours. Schedule your appointment now at uofuhealth.org slash care to be great. Cougar Sports Saturday. Cougar Sports Saturday. A presentation of KSL Sports. KSL Sports. Left wing for three. He got it again. BYU Sports Talk by Cougar fans for Cougar fans. Here are your hosts, Mitch Harper and Matt Biamonte. On Utah's legacy home of the Cougars. KSL News Radio, 102.7 FM and 1160 AM. Welcome back in to Cougar Sports Saturday here on KSL News Radio. And we have a special guest with us. So let's not wait any t- uh, waste any time. Get out to the phone line and bring on the special teams coordinator, the defensive ends coach for BYU's defense. He is Kelly Popinga. Kelly, thanks for spending some time with us, man. We appreciate it. Yeah, how are you guys doing? It's good to be with you guys today. Great to have you. Uh, I guess the first thing I'd ask you is, did you ever feel like you'd return to BYU? I mean, you started your coaching career here, and then you went to the East Coast to coach at Virginia, and now you're back. Did you ever think you'd be back when you left the first time? Um, I think there was always hope that I'd be back. You know, I didn't think um, it would happen as quickly as it did. You know, I thought it would be, you know, year you know, 14 or 15 away from the program, not seven years after I left. So it was, uh, for me, it was, uh, you know, it, it, I, like I said, I was always hoping that it would happen, but I just never thought it would happen this quickly. So I was, I was thankful for the opportunity, uh, when the opportunity came and, uh, just the timing of it, everything was right. And, uh, you know, very, very fortunate, very blessed and thankful to, to Kalani for the opportunity to be back. Kelly, uh, you know, BYU is an amazing place that, uh, you know, not many, I, I got to imagine in the coaching world of college football, it's not often that maybe you have some bounce backs or some returns to a school, especially your alma mater. Uh, you know, just can you describe like what BYU football means to you? Because I got to imagine it's it's got to be a place that means a lot if you want to come back to it and, and, and things like that. Yeah, to me, um, BYU football is really how I was brought up, man. I, you know, my dad played here back in the seventies. We came to games, shoot, as early as I could remember, starting in the eighties, probably right after, you know, those uh, 
those uh, 84, 85, 86 years. So I was, I was uh, late eighties coming into the stadium and uh, shoot. One of my fondest memories is uh, I remember BYU came back against uh, Washington state. Drew Bledsoe was the quarterback and they scored like 35 points in the fourth quarter. Something crazy. I can't remember. It was, I, if you, I don't know if you guys remember that. I think 1990 after the week after the Miami game was a little bit of a letdown game after the Miami game. I just, yeah, it was crazy. And I remember we rushed the field, and that's like a real fond memory. I remember our, our seats were in KK up in the stands. I still remember exactly where they were. And so, you know, that was that was my life. This is who I grew up, you know, being. And, uh, you know, then once I got here and started living this dream that I hope I always would be able to fulfill, really, you know, Coach Menhall instilled a ton of things in me as a player, then continued as a coach, and then really throughout my whole entire coaching career until last year, but still stuff I still use even till today. But, you know, things that um, to me, it's just, it's taught me accountability. It's taught me discipline and it's taught me to try as hard as I can effort. And those are things Coach Menhall, when he took over the program back in 2005, that have really just stuck with me throughout my whole entire career. And so those are, you know, that's what this program means to me. It's really who I am. It's what my life has been really all about and what it's been based about over the past probably 15 to 20 years. And uh, just excited to get back to my roots and be able to help this program uh, continue um, on the path that it's been, especially the last three years, just being able to see it from a distance and be able to coach against the team twice um, on the losing side both times, which was <laughs> which probably pained me more than any two losses in my whole career especially this last year at Boise State where I thought we had them and, you know, who could make an amazing catch and, you know, ends up winning the game right there at the end. But um, just thankful to hopefully provide something to help this program, uh, you know, take the next step and and uh, go into the, into the Big 12 and compete right away. You noted you coached against BOU twice. I'm, I'm sure you didn't foresee that happening when you left Virginia. There was always that possibility with BOU and Virginia having – the scheduling green when you went there, but how weird was it, especially on your return to Lavelle Edwards, to be on the other side? Because I, I don't think I've had a chance to hear from you talk about that experience coaching against BYU, being on the visitor sideline, Kelly. It was uh, the strangest thing I've ever had to do in my coaching career. You know, <laughs> a place where you know you were a team captain that you coached for seven years. I mean, ten years of my life was in that stadium, and like I said, I grew up in that stadium. And so coming back as the as the enemy, that was that was strange for all of us, all of us that were on that staff that had coached here and played here, and to be on that sideline, man, it it did not feel right. That's what I. That's all I know. It did not feel right. But like I said before, more than any game in my career, that was the game I wanted to win the most because you you know you're in front of friends and family, and and man, it turned ugly. That was like the, the thing that was so hard about that game is we wanted to win that game so bad. And sometimes that's what happens when you want to win a game so bad. Maybe you try too hard or do things out of character. And and really, BYU just played. They played really good that night, and we played as bad as we could play. So I think it was the, the perfect storm on both sides. They played out of their minds offensively. We played as bad as we possibly could play, probably defensively, and that's why that turned out to be – the most points I've ever given up in my career. And so I was I almost, honestly walked out of that stadium that I was embarrassed. I was embarrassed. I didn't want to ever come back. I was like, I'm never showing my face in Provo, Utah ever again. <laughs> and, uh, and it was, yeah, it was bad, but honestly it was, a, I, you know, it was an experience that, uh, you know, sometimes needs to happen. Kelly Papinga is our guest here on KSL news radio. I always think back 
Coach, when uh, you made that move to Virginia, uh, Bronco always talked about how it was kind of a, a movement from the west to the east, and so many BYU ties were on that Virginia staff, and all of you guys have ended up at different parts of the country and different, different programs. Do you still keep in touch with all those coaches uh, you know, yeah. that are from really coast to coast now in college football are, are having success? Oh, yeah, we got a we got a thread that we're all on and we share things. And, uh, you know, we became extremely close when we moved to Virginia, all of us, because, you know, I think when you're here, uh, all of us have family ties to people here in Utah, you know, parents or brothers or sisters, aunts, uncles, whatever. Um, But when we moved to Virginia, we didn't know anybody. And so when we hung out, we'd go to work and then we'd go hang out with each other after, you know, Bronco would have us over to his art, over to his house or whatever. And it just became, it became like our extended family. And uh, so we all became extremely close over those six years. And uh, yeah, so we're still on a thread. We still talk a lot. Uh, you know, just this morning we were uh, making fun of coach 2J about something. And so I just, you know, somebody posted a picture of him and his NC state stuff. And I was like, he was dressed in all black and I was like, thank goodness you don't have any of that ugly red on, man. So he was, and he told me he was trying to avoid the red as much as he possibly could, you know? So, um, but you know, it's just, it's good to, you know, have guys that you work with that you trust that are loyal to you and you're loyal to them. And, uh, you know, but it's been good for all of us to get away, you know, especially, you know, we learned so much from Bronco, but eventually we knew there would be a time where, you know, we were all going to have to spread our wings. And I learned a ton last year at Boise state, and I know all of these other guys too as well. Everybody's learned so much from just going out and, you know, getting uncomfortable, learning new systems, new schemes. And, uh, yeah, it's been fun. Let's talk about the here and now. Uh, when you and Jay Hill and all the new defensive staff joined in December, talked about evaluating the current staff and, you know, focus on recruiting and building the roster for your first year back in the Big 12. What have the evaluations yielded? What have you learned about the guys that are, are here that you'll be coaching in the defensive ends room? Yeah, so I I really like um, the experience that we have, you know, with Tyler. I think Tyler had a really good year a year ago. Um, I think he'll fit our scheme that we have very well. Um, you know, Jay's scheme is um, – it uh, focuses a lot on the defensive ends. Those guys got to do a lot of stuff. And that's what I'm used to, really, in the scheme that I was at Boise last year, which is very similar to the scheme that, uh, you know, Bronco ran. Um, which is there's some similarities in this scheme as lot uh, as well. A lot is asked of the defensive ends. They have to be able to stop the run, obviously, and set the edge of the defense. They have to be able to uh, rush the passer. And there's some times where they're going to be dropping into coverage. And so there's a lot of versatility that that position requires. And uh, that's really what what I'm used to coaching and recruiting. And and so I think we'll um, you know we'll make an impact. I have I have a lot of confidence. We'll make an impact with the player that players that we have here. Um, you know, Ice Moa, I think, is a very versatile player. Isaiah Bagna, that um, just transferred from Boise State as well. Um, you got Blake Mingleson as well that, uh, you know, I'm excited about. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of younger guys as well, daily kids. There's the two brothers. One will be home off of the mission soon. Um, Bodie Schoonover as well. Um, there's, yeah, there's, and then we got a couple transfer guys in this uh, uh, new that just transferred from Weber State from uh, with coach Hill, he's, he's played, he's played a lot of football and starting experience. So I think there's a lot of depth there and uh, a lot of talent for sure to help us win. And uh, yeah, just excited to see these guys continue to grow and develop and learn the system. Oh, I love that personnel breakdown with coach Papinga coach. 
So have you on for one more segment here. We're going to take a quick break, and then on the other side we'll continue to break down the defensive ends and spring ball kicking off on Monday. It's Cougar Sports Saturday, powered by KSL Sports. Welcome back into Cougar Sports Saturday. Let's get back to Kelly Papinga, waiting patiently on the phone with us. Coach, the positions, defensive ends, is it just simply you're going to call them DNs, or is there some sort of special title that you have for your particular defensive end positions in this new Jay Hill defense? Yeah, I think the the names will be similar to what they were a year ago, but they'll be different. There'll, there'll be some similarities, and really near the end of the year, I think there's a transition um, more into this four down front uh, that we'll be running. But yeah, our our OE, which we call our open end, that guy will be more of uh, you know he's a more versatile player. He's you know more of a pass rusher, can drop into coverage. Where our bull, which is our bigger end, our bull, that's where Tyler Tyler will play. And, um, you know, that guy's a bigger, bigger guy that we can put on a a tight end and bully that guy up. And, and, uh, you know, usually those guys are 260, 270 pounds, not dropping those guys into coverage as much, but we can still do it and we will. Um, but, uh, you know, there's a little, there's little differences, um, in those guys, but they're, they're pretty unique in what they have to do. And so I, I compare it to like, uh, back in the day when I was here before, it'd be like. Kyle Vannoy on one side, he'd be the open end, and then Bronson Kafusi or Ziggy would be on the other side. They'd be like the the bull. That's a great tandem right there. If we if we yeah. get back to that, yeah, man, are, sign me up. Right yeah. <laughs> How much emphasis will you and the defensive staff put on creating pressure on on the quarterback? You know, a lot's been made around here on the lack of sacks the past couple of years, and sacks aren't the end all be all, Kelly. That that's not a a universal metric for pressuring the quarterback, but it, it does tell some of the stories. Is that a, an emphasis defensively for you guys to just put pressure on the quarterback? Oh yeah. It's, it's definitely something that I think over the years, you know, with Jay with his ties to Utah and then for what he's done at Weber state, this defense is designed to uh, get after the quarterback. And so there'll be multiplicity ways that we'll do it. And from rushing four mainly to man, we'll rush three. And I think we'll still be able to get some pressure based upon some coverage stuff that we'll do. Um, but we'll rush five, we'll rush six, we'll rush seven. I mean, it's an aggressive defense and uh, it's, uh, it's exciting. Yeah. It'll be, you know, compared to what they were doing a year ago, I think there'll be uh, a lot of differences. Um, but you know, the thing is that I think a lot of BYU fans uh, and football fans in general, don't understand the bottom line at the end of the day is our job is to keep points off the board, right? And so it doesn't matter how you do it. And I think BYU and Coach Tuiaki for a long time did a great job rushing three and keeping points off the board, right? And so I think ultimately at the end of the day, that's what BYU fans, you know, hopefully understand is our job is to keep points off the board. And every game is going to be a little bit different. There's times, I know for a fact in the Big 12, guys, there's times where we are not going to want to rush the court. The ball's coming out too fast. And so what a lot of, you know, football fans need to realize is every scheme is different that you face, you know, that you face each and every Saturday. Um, and there's going to be times where we're going to drop eight. There's going to be times where we send the house, we'll send them, you know, send six and we'll, you know, be, be successful doing that. And so it's just week in and week out. That's the thing that I love about this scheme. I think it's versatile. I think it allows us to do a lot of different things. There's a lot of answers um, to a lot of different schemes that we'll face. And uh, I think ultimately, at the end of the day, that's what's, uh, you know, what what makes a great scheme 
is there's a lot of different things that you can do against the really the versatility offenses that there are um, around college football, but especially in the Big 12. There's there's one one of the best, if not the best offensive conference in all of college football. And so um, it'll be exciting to uh, be able to face those teams each and, you know, each and every week. And I think this scheme gives us a great opportunity to um, uh, send different tempos. That's what I like um, over the years just in coaching that I've loved is there's different tempos of defense and there's a way to change it up. You know, it's like a pitcher and, you know, he's got his fastball, but he's got his change up. He's got his curveball, right? There's different tempos that we're going to be able to throw out quarterbacks and offensive linemen to hopefully keep them, you know, on their heels. Talk with Kelly Papinga here for a few more moments. We want to get to this special teams group, too. Your, your specialists, Rico, uh, uh, Will Farron, Justin Smith, Cash Peterman, and then the Riggs brothers. Is that about right? Or is there any other uh, specialists in the mix? Yeah. Those are uh, those are the main core guys right now. You know, actually today we're having a walk-on tryout uh, to try to find probably one more kicker um, to compete for that kicking spot. And then um, there's a you know potential other guy that we might add um, kicking wise. But yeah, I feel like those guys have come a long way since I've gotten here. Um, as far as the kickers, I think you know Ryan obviously Rico is in a, in a great spot. I you know hopefully can help him to continue to improve. Because um, I think he's one of the best punters in the country, and he's a he's a weapon for our team to have. And our our defensive players should should love this guy more than anybody. Uh, just hopefully giving us great field position to play with. Um, but I feel uh, yeah, I feel really confident with the guys we have. The, the the snappers, I think we're in a great position there as well. I think we have a lot of experience, except for that kicking position. And so it'll be exciting to see how those guys compete. Like you mentioned, we got Cash and we got Justin and we got uh, Will that just transferred in, and so. Uh, those guys will compete with probably one other guy that hopefully we find today in this uh, tryout, and we'll uh, go from there. What are the goals for for spring football? If you had to break them down and maybe do a pie chart, you know, position battles, development, scheme install. Like, what's the approach on, on spring football in, in that regard? Yeah, I think ultimately, uh, you know, for for Coach Hill and our defense, and I, th- I think the offense would probably speak the same. Is we want to go in and you want to be able to have fundamentals, right? You want to be able to go in there and just really hone in on your fundamentals and your techniques and make sure everybody understands what those are and get great at those. Um, Cause really, if you get great at uh, fundamentals and techniques, then you can build off of anything from there. Um, and then the other thing defensively that we want to do is we want to make sure that uh, we're great tacklers. We want to be great tacklers and be able to develop that and practice that during spring ball and, um, you know, that doesn't mean we'll be going on, you know, 11 on 11 all the time, you know, full on, but we will do some of that, but a lot of tackling drills and emphasis of that, I think will help us become a better tackling team. Um, and, uh, you know, try to build a culture of how coach Hill wants to do it on defense, um, which is an aggressive attacking style defense that has different, you know, different tempos, like we talked about. Last thing for you, coach, you know, it was always interesting in independence, and, and you lived it being a, a coach for all those years, first seven years in the, in, in the independence era, defining expectations, uh, you know, for the program. Now it's cut and dry. It's You're competing for a Big 12 championship and pursuing that goal. Uh, you know, how much just does that change the dynamic of this program, having a clearly stated goal, what you're all moving towards, uh, and, and getting that alignment not only from the football program but administrators up, up above you guys too. Like, what does that do for this program and what it will be on the field? 
Yeah, I just, I, I tell everybody, it's very similar to when I left here and went to Virginia. I remember being in a conference again, being in the ACC, and there's a, just a completely different feel. <laughs> it was like, man, it felt just so good just to be back in a conference and week in and week out, you were competing. Even even when uh, you were out of it, our first year, we were terrible at Virginia. But the thing that I loved um, near the end of the year, we had some chances to, to screw up some teams. Mm. And uh, I remember we were playing Louisville late in the year and uh, Lamar Jackson was the year he won the Heisman trophy and we had him like, it was like, and we had a chance to ruin their whole entire season. We had them at home. I think they were number two or number three in the country. And they had a, they scored a touchdown basically on a hell Mary on the last play of the game to win the game. But just being able to go into that game and still know like, Hey guys, we can screw up this, this team season right here. And, you know, obviously help our team get better, but there was just, there's just always something to play for. Um, and then after that, once we got things kind of rolling there, every year near the end of the year, every game mattered. You get into November, and it was like, man, we were playing. Typically, our November schedule was like UNC, Pitt, and um, and Virginia Tech. And every single one of those games was, man, there was a lot on the line. And just the, the intensity of those games and um, just the way that uh, they were approached, it's just a little different than playing a – you know, no offense to Utah Tech, but it's just a little different than playing a team like that in November where you're like, okay, you know, what are we what are we doing here as far as just what is this, what's the end goal? You know, what, what is this game going to help us? But um, I just think it's going to be, I think BYU fans have been craving this forever. You know, in my opinion, BYU was the, was the, the team in the country that was, you know, a conference championship team forever, right? So you go back to the mid-70s all the way up until – you know, 2007 when we won our last conference championship. I think we did the stats here. I think it was like a 35-year time frame where they won 22 conference championships. That's insane. And so that's what I think BYU football is all about, about winning conference championships and competing for conference championships. And, I, you know, I'm confident that we'll have an opportunity to be to be in the mix this year and uh, just look forward to, to seeing how this thing all unfolds. Can't wait. We can't wait for spring football right around the corner. Kelly Papinga, special teams coordinator, defensive ends coach. Uh, welcome back to BYU. Glad to have you and can't wait to uh, get down there in spring football and uh, hear the, the pads popping, the helmets going. I think a lot of BYU fans are excited for spring football. Thanks for the time. Yeah, it'll, be, it'll be fun, man. I appreciate you guys. Thanks for having me on. Thanks, Thanks Kelly. Kelly. Kelly Popinga, new special teams coach, defensive end coach as well. Excited to have him back. And, uh, I'm sure we'll have more from him in the coming weeks and months as spring football unfolds and this team gets ready for the Big 12. Impressive staff. BYU kicks off spring football on Monday. We'll be down there with coverage on KSLSports.com and, of course, here on KSL News Radio as well. News, traffic, and weather next, and we'll get to the top five here on Cougar Sports Saturday, powered by KSL Sports. It's Cougar Sports Saturday. Cougar Sports Saturday. Saturday, a presentation of KSL Sports. KSL Sports. Left wing for three. He got it again! BYU Sports Talk by Cougar fans for Cougar fans. Here are your hosts, Mitch Harper and Matt Biamonte. On Utah's legacy home of the Cougars. KSL News Radio, 102.7 FM and 1160 AM. Hour number two, rolling along here on Cougar Sports Saturday. Hope all of you are having a fantastic weekend. Appreciate you listening to us. ESL News Time, 1.37 p.m. Mitch Harper, Matt Biamonte, 
just a jam-packed Saturday in in March. I love when the calendar turns to March because you got so much good stuff coming up. I mean, spring ball, uh, NCAA tournament. I've been dreading March all year. Really? Well, I'm having my second child oh, soon. That's right. And you know what that means. No sleep. Yes. Change. All things that you get afraid of. Well, every year, though, I mean, we don't sleep until May. We sleep in May. Like, that's I'm just, not John Rothstein. I try to get eight hours a night, baby. We right. sleep in May, Matt. But uh, that, that's uh, what, what's the due date? You know, it's uh, May, uh, March 13th. We're having a child oh, on March man. 13th. Man, that could that could conflict with some NIT action. <laughs> what are you going to pick? I'm not picking the NIT. <laughs> are you kidding? kidding? I'm, I'm kidding. especially not picking the CBI. I'll tell you that. Much you don't want right to see now. BYU versus Farley Dickinson in the CBI? No, but it, maybe if it was Wofford, I, I could talk myself into it. UMBC, just because of the Twitter handle? <laughs> anyway, we're getting off the rails here. Let's get to our favorite game, though. You, I know you're not missing this. Heck no. You're not missing this. That is the Top 5. The Cougar Sports Saturday Top 5. Mitch and Matt clash in a weekly battle of BYU sports knowledge. Here's the Top 5. The Top 5 every week at this time. If you're new to the show... Matt and I have a, a little bit of a game. We, no, nothing prepared in front of us, just blind. And the man that puts that game together is our producer, Nate Slack. Nate, how are you this week? I'm doing great. My So my kid, my kid was born in November. Number one for you, number right? Number one. And he's been sleeping 11 hours for the last three months. Wow. So, I'm going to spiral into depression hearing this story. We need a, like a TikTok, and then you'll go viral how you, you can explain, yeah. hey, this is how my kid sleeps. This is what I've done. I'd this is what we do. Everyone would be that. like, how does this happen? I don't even know, but hey, I, I enjoy it. I also enjoy this segment. It's a lot of fun. You know, football season is uh, it's, it's slowly creeping up on us. we got spring ball starting on Monday, and we just heard from Kelly Papinga. And one thing that the defensive coach has been talking about a lot is – how much they want to bring pressure. And so I got to thinking about um, a list of, of possible sack leaders at BYU. And that's not going to be our list this week because I saw the top five and I thought, I have no idea who a lot of these guys are, so we're not going to do mm-hmm. that. But I was thinking about things that can make this season a success. I know people are a little pessimistic, maybe uh, a five and seven, six and six type season. And I think um, – this could be something that could push BYU to possibly be 8-4, and four, and that is winning games at home. And so today's top five, we're going to be looking at the last five seasons that BYU went undefeated at home. Ooh, okay. Oh, interesting. Okay. I and like that. Last week, no, last week we didn't have it. Two weeks ago, Mitch, uh, Mitch won, and so he currently leads 5-3 to three in this new era, and he's also starting out today. Okay, so last five seasons where BYU has gone undefeated at home. Yep. I will say 2020. 2020 is the most recent time. So they they defeated Troy, Louisiana Tech, UTSA, Texas State, Western Kentucky, Northern Alabama, SDSU. (laughs) What a schedule. Little different than what they're going to see this fall. For sure. For sure. But yes. So, uh, yeah, 2020. 7-0. 7-0. Home game seven and zero in home games. Weird year. I mean, being at all those games was so unusual. Just empty. Les was bizarre. I mean, it was it was so weird uh, to to cover games that season. But yeah, they were they were dominant at home. It, I, did anyone? I can't even think. San Diego State gave them a little bit of run in the first half in that snow game or ice bit, bowl like, game. But 
other than that, BYU just cruised to easy wins. UTSA, too, was another one that was pretty tough, but, mm-hmm. yeah, pretty dominant home schedule. Matt. Let's go with 20, 2015. All right, there we go. Nice, yeah. 2015, right. BYU went 6-0 with wins over Boise State, UConn, Eastern Carolina, Cincinnati, Wagner, and Fresno State. Great year. That was uh, one of those what-if years, mm-hmm. obviously because of the Taysom Hill injury, but uh, who could forget the Boise State game? And I just remember the losses being a tough ones. The bowl game, obviously that wasn't a home game. UCLA on the road, that was a tough one. But that was a, a gritty group that I think surprised a lot of us considering the circumstances. No Jamal either, too. So it was like Taysom's gone, Jamal's gone, and he's still had a good year. Let's right. go with here. Um, let's see, I'm trying to think. Here. I didn't want to turn anyways because I I need some time to think. <laughs> I'm trying to think here. How about no? Uh, let's go with uh, 2007. You guys are three for three. So 2007 wow. went six and zero. Wins over Arizona, Air Force, Eastern Washington, Colorado State, TCU, and Utah. 2007, that was a uh, very good team. I don't know if it's a great team, but very good. Uh, they were they were not as explosive offensively as you would think. It was Max Hall's first year. They were a little bit more just take care of the football, and then Max eventually evolved over the course of the season. But just very good at complimentary football. Kelly Papinga was part of that team uh, we just spoke with. Uh, he was a linebacker on that group. The last conference champion team that, that year, BYU, yeah. so in 2007. Let's uh, follow it up the following year, 2008. You guys are four for really? four. Really? 2008? 2008, 6-0. So we had Northern Iowa and then the, the UCLA, UCLA blowout. game, 59-0. The week after they played oh, Wyoming yeah. and won 44-0. That's right. And then New Mexico, UNLV, San Diego State. But the three losses were TCU, Utah, and then the Bowl, right? Right. Yeah. So, yeah, those are all on the road. Yeah. Wow. Jeez. How about this? Let's go 2006. Oh, <laughs> I am shocked. Geez. You guys got all five. 2006 went 6-0 and with wins over Tulsa, Utah State, San Diego State, UNLV, Wyoming, and New Mexico. Yeah, the two losses that year were Arizona. I think it was like, what, 16-13, to and then Boston College in overtime. And then Chris Spillman on ESPN said, that's the best one-and-two football team in the country. And you're thinking... Uh, have you not seen BYU football the last few years? They always choke. <laughs> and then they reeled off 10 straight wins, and Chris Billman looked like a genius. Uh, yeah, that, that team, what was great about 2006, too, was like for the younger BYU fan, it felt like what our board op Dave experienced in like the 80s, where every week you didn't question if BYU was going to win. It was like, how much are they going to win by? And then you, you so BYU rolls up against UNLV, and it's 52 to 7, and it's just, you're having a nice afternoon day. No one's watching yet because you're on the mountain. You're listening to us on KSL News Radio. But, uh, you know, it was just, it was blowout after blowout. It was an amazing season, how dominant that year was. I remember the 2006 senior day, I think it was New Mexico, and winning that conference title, BYU did. And I think fans were, they had like this, this, uh, the, the Cougar Den had Mountain West Conference champion t shirts. It's just, again, conference titles and that chase. Even though it was the Mountain West, and look, no one's romanticizing the Mountain West days, but that chase, that hunt, it was fun in that year. And I think there's something that we're going to see that again. And, you know, who knows when they're going to get an undefeated home schedule again. But uh, that was just a fun year. And you look back on it, it wasn't glamorous names. You know, it wasn't these marquee games, but every week. Sellout crowds, too, I think, because of uh, 
the success BYU was experiencing. Just a fun year all around. Even the two losses, you, you BYU lost to Boston College, Matt mm-hmm. Ryan, in double overtime. Yeah. And then Arizona on a last-second kick. The Arizona the loss, losses. though, was painful. I was at that game. Mm-hmm, that was one of too. the first road games I went to as an adult. <laughs> and the blown call on the punt return where he just got blown up before the ball got I just there were so many bad there was a Matt Allen offensive PI that was a joke yes. that, 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 that I don't push even, off it wasn't even a push off I don't even consider that a loss because I feel like they got <laughs> just completely robbed by the officials in that game I remember too that game watching John Beck walk off the field and how heavily taped his ankles were it's like wow how did he even get through that game and just it was it was also a team too that just experienced heartbreak after heartbreak. And you're like, when is John Beck gonna break through and get that signature win? Of course, he got it against Utah on the road, but yeah, that was a good team. That that's one of the great BYU teams, far better than 07, in my opinion. 06 is one of the all time great teams in BYU history. Just how dominant they were from start to finish, and just a really fun. I'd season. probably take them over 2020's group. Yeah, I would too. I, I think you know that's what's one of the interesting things that. You know, the Bronco years from 06 to 09, I feel like they had better top-end talent than what BYU's had in the Kalani era. But I think the depth of the Kalani teams has been far better than what those 06 to 09 groups had. But the top 22 on those teams from 06 to 09, kind of like the the modern golden age of BYU to the pair with the 80s, that was an impressive stretch where you had, I mean, all-timers, Beck, Max Hall, Harviunga, Curtis Brown, Austin Colley, Dennis Pitt. I mean, these are the best to do it at their positions, whereas Kalani's teams have not had those all-timers really emerge. I mean, you know, Tyler Algier, Jamal for one year in 2016, but uh, that 0609 team, that, those were just great BYU football teams that you felt like could go blow for blow with anyone in college football with how they were built, and the, the defenses were great too. And I think that's one of the things I want to see BYU football get back to in the Big 12 is just these outstanding defenses. 9 against Oklahoma, BYU, a Big 12 power playing against Oklahoma. I mean, that was one of the best defensive performances ever I've ever seen from a BYU team. And I want to see some great BYU defenses again uh, in the future. And I think home crowds can help that cause because when LES is rocking, it's one of the toughest venues in college football when it's when it's off the charts. That was an impressive five and zero. We haven't five had a five and zero in yeah, a while. Shocked. That was that was some good stuff. We we know our we know, there's there's some things we know quite a bit. I mean, we we, we fooled them again, I guess. But uh, <laughs> no, we we uh, we know our our BYU football home game crowds. I mean, because look, anytime BYU football lines it up, it's just like I don't know if you guys are the same way, but you remember everything about that day, like the 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 dynamics of the game. Like I remember BYU San Jose State in 2017. How it was forty thousand fans? You're like. This is what, like, BYU game not having more than 55-plus? Like, I always kind of just expect at a BYU football home game, there's going to be at least 55. Like, there's always, like, a guaranteed 50 at a minimum if it's a late-night game. But then you get those, you know, hostile crowds like last year against Baylor where it was a sellout, it was rocking. I mean, just, I I love seeing how this fan base and BYU football is going to take on such a bigger stage being in the Big 12, because I'm telling you, LES, I don't think the Big 12 realizes what's in store because BYU will single-handedly try to lift their team. These fans are going to be rocking. I just think it's going to be impressive atmospheres, and it's going to be one of the toughest places to win at in the Big 12. It's going to be a lot of fun. Good stuff, Nate. I'm disappointed, obviously, but uh, hey, you know what? It's easy to lose when you just go, you know, I didn't miss. This is like a heck of an effort. Like, yeah. you, It wasn't... 
It was like what Mark Jackson says in, in old NBA games. Good defense, better O. <laughs> man down, man down. Mama, there goes that man again. Like, there's nothing you can do. Yeah, it's just like, right. we, just, we just reeled that one off. We reeled it off. Congrats, Mitch. All right, let's get to a break. Good stuff, Nate, on the other side. Let's uh, chime in quickly on the NFL Combine. Who's there? What's going on? Hall, Puka, Freeland, we'll do that next. Welcome back in to Cougar Sports Saturday. Keeping an eye on the NFL Combine. BYU has three players there. Jaron Hall, Puka Nakua, Blake Freeland. We're seeing Puka and Jaron today. They just wrapped up the first group of wide receivers and quarterbacks. That included Jaron Hall. And there were some good moments there. Nothing, I think, that would make you go, wow, his stock is is going off the charts. But... When he got hurt against Stanford and he wasn't full go at, at the Senior Bowl and then he didn't run the 40, it just felt like there was a limit to what he could do in the offseason. So at the end of the day, I think with Jaron Hall, what we're going to find is maybe what we found with Tyler Algier. Maybe there's a couple teams who fall in love with him and can they wait to the fourth or fifth yeah. round to grab him? I think so. I, I just hope that if it – I hope he doesn't end up in like the sixth or seventh round. Because then I feel like the 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 chances of making the team are harder. I know there's Brock Purdy stories, and you know he was Mister Inevitable or Irrelevant, excuse me. Uh, but you know that's just a tougher slope, and I and I hope he doesn't get to that because then I'm thinking should he just come back to BYU because he could have taken advantage of that COVID year. I think it was the right move, all all things considered, because it was a it was a chance for BYU to kind of hit reset in a year one of the Big 12 and start anew. And I, I get all of that. Uh, I just hope that, you know, that situation that Jaron Hall ends up in is one that gives him an opportunity to have success. And I'd be curious, too, to see, you know, how, how he fares the rest of the week uh, with the combine. He's got drills today, and then he's traveling back. But, um, you know, the the senior bowl paired with this combine just hasn't been the, the greatest draft process for Jaron. He will have a BYU Pro Day on March 24th, so we'll see how what testing he does there to maybe elevate his stock a little bit more to uh, uh, have a maybe day two sort of selection potentially for Jaron Hall. The thing I, I think helps him, though, is, is you look at this group. I think the first round, it's pretty set in stone. It's Bryce Young, C.J. Stroud, Will Levis because he's a physical freak, yeah, and Anthony Richardson for the same reasons. After that, though, I think it really will determine on do they like you as a prospect, and can you fit into the organization? After the second round, I think you throw out the, you know, combine yeah. freaks. The At that point, I just think, does one team fall in love with you? Is there a need? Like, to me, the place that I want to see him go to the most, if I had to rank the three places from three to one that I would love to see him go right now, because I don't think there's going to be any change in the quarterback situations. Number three, Seattle. I just think Seattle maybe can look at him and say, we've done this before, and we won a Super Bowl. It's a Russell Wilson type. And they are, because of the Jamal Adams trade, Mitch, they have a lot of young talent. Like, there's there's a good offensive line. They got Kenneth Walker. Like, that'd be a great fit. And he he wouldn't have to come in immediately. He'd sit behind Geno Smith for a year or two. 
Number two, I already talked about it, Denver Broncos. Sean Payton, we know what he can do. Guess who has had a lot of success with smaller quarterbacks? Sean Payton with Drew Brees. Come in, learn. And and look, Russell Wilson's older. Maybe he starts to get hurt and opens the door. And then number one, Kansas City, it's obvious because of Andy Reid. But, like, Chad Henney's gone. They need a number two. Great point. And they could probably get him in the fourth or fifth round. And he, there's some similarities there with Mahomes. I'm not saying he's Mahomes. Sure. Definitely not saying that. But he can move around. He can do some stuff. Andy Reid and BYU. So if he gets into one of those three places, I think the sky's the limit for him. I'd be thrilled. I think those are three great spots. I mean, honestly, I think that I think any Cougar fan would love those destinations in Denver too, you know, for, for fans that don't, you know, have Sunday ticket coming up on YouTube TV. I think you just watch probably a lot of those games on local, you know, yep. channel two, Good channel point. four or whatever, channel 13. So Broncos are always on local TV. So that'd be a great chance to, to see Jaron. So I, I just think that, you know, maybe I'm a little bit uh, skeptical and maybe I, I need to dive into the data a little bit more because I always just feel like BYU guys outside of Zach Wilson, dip farther than they should you know I always just think of like Luke Staley 2001 Doak Walker winner coming off the injury I know the seventh rounder I go what that that guy had elite production why is he a seventh rounder I just I I always think that the you know the NFL for whatever reason doesn't give uh, enough credit to BYU guys but I I do think think that's changing a little bit that's a great point it is changing like you have to be a high character guy. There's yeah. just there's too many Johnny Manzels <laughs> where you can't be taking risks. Yeah. There's too much money involved. You got to feel good. I think that bodes well for Jaron Hall. I guess maybe we just see so much of these BYU guys that we see them at their best. We also yeah. see some of their worst, but at their best, Jaron Hall. Like you can't tell me when Jaron's at his best, he's not an Anthony Richardson. Like mean, Anthony Richardson was so bad in so game, so many games. <laughs> yeah. Whereas Jaron was always consistent. There's something to be said about consistency at the quarterback position. Let's take a break. Hour number three coming up. BYU basketball and also more spring football talk around the corner. It's Cougar Sports Saturday, powered by KSL Sports. A gun in the face. Then all of a sudden, they all kind of lined up. They pointed their guns at me. And this is the point where I thought, I'm going to die today. Started two years of horror for an American in Venezuela. They said, you need to... Give us your phone and get ready because you're coming with us. I'm Becky Bruce, and I spent a year researching and piecing together Josh and Tammy Holt's story about their ordeal in a notorious prison. That's when everything started to turn bad. We had another pound on the door. Boom, boom, boom. And there was the police once again. You can binge all of the episodes of Hope in Darkness on kslpodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts.